What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Okay, you know, like at camps and stuff like this, you take the ball out. You ain't getting the ball back. <laughs> like, you the last one up the court. They already did their thing. So I stopped there, and I just got into a rhythm and started hooping. The Lakers should sign Trey Young this summer. They got to kind of start preparing for, like, if LeBron's last year is this year or next year, whenever it is. And I feel like a uh, pick and roll with AD and a guy like Trey Young would be deadly. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Welcome to All the Smoke, a production of The Black Effect and Our Heart Radio, in partnership with Showtime. Welcome back to another edition of All the Smoke, our third and final day in New York. NYC. It's been a good run, Jack. Good to see you. Great week, you too, my brother. You know that. We got a special guest, uh, former teammate of Stack. Uh, brother of Stack. Runs the best Drive Nation program out there in Dallas. Got the best tournaments. Got a great little situation set up out there. Uh, welcome to the show, Jermaine O'Neal. JL, appreciate you, appreciate you bro. My boss, sure. you know that. Man, let's get right into it, man. You got something, a big project you've been working on. Uh, Untold comes out on Netflix, The Malice at the Palace, August 10th. Talk to us about that and uh, your involvement in it. Man, honestly, it's been, uh, it's been about really 10 years I've been looking to try to get into this film thing. Uh, obviously, Jack, you was involved with this, so you know how I feel about like the stories and the narratives of, of things that are out there, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I went out and met with a bunch of different producers, uh, directors, didn't really feel like people understood where I was trying to go with it. The idea behind the film was not to the avid NBA fan, but just to the actual person, regular everyday person that actually knew about the malice, right? Mm -hmm. It was a conclusion that was out there that we never actually got an opportunity to talk about. So I wanted to do a film that spoke to that to that person, uh, because to be quite honest, uh, 17 years later, just Ooh. tired of talking about it. Right? Yeah. Why the hell is it an anniversary? So I felt like this doc um, was able to give us our platform uh, and now give, have people have be able to make a conclusion on actual facts what now, not somebody else sitting on right. on the couch somewhere, you know, writing up some articles that they don't yeah. even know about. Because it's been almost like urban legend. 
You know, I mean, that was one of the biggest incidents in NBA history. And it's almost just been like urban legend as far as what happened, what led up to it, what happened after all this kind of shit. So you guys finally got a chance right. to tell that. What do you want the average fan or the average person to take away from this doc? Well, you know, first, I, I got to say a big thank you to Netflix yeah. uh, for giving the opportunity, uh, perfect timing. Uh, the Way Brothers, um, they understood. Uh, Floyd, the director, understood the vision, right? That was important. They were able to get it. Um, but, you know, this doc is is important to me um, in many ways because it allowed people, and when people think about the brawl, they always, you know, I don't care where I'm at. Hey, man, I remember the scrap. That's all people talking about. Right. They don't know everything else. We went on, this went on for like 10 years, bro. Like, I had a felony the same charge you'll get for shooting or stabbing somebody. Yeah. You mm. see what I'm saying? And mm. it was like a situation where, to me, beyond even those things, it allowed people to take shots at a culture, right? Take shots at our league and still not be able to have a conversation, a real educated conversation about what actually really happened, mm-hmm. right? And this is what this doc really gives, you know, people opportunity to kind of relate to and say, okay, damn, that was, that was, it was much bigger than them throwing hands. Right. They just looked at it as some rich thugs out there. They didn't mm-hmm. take time to comprehend nothing. Why it went down, why we wasn't protected, how we was treated, none of that mattered. So I, I'm, I'm excited to be involved uh, on, in this doc, and I'm glad I was happy when JL called me because, like you said, I'm tired of talking about it too. You know what I mean? And you, you, do, you do more in, in this doc than here, our side. You see actual footage, you know what I mean, you, to, to, for you can judge for yourself to see how we was treated and how we wasn't protected. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then and, and a lot of things gonna come to light, so I can't wait till y'all get. I can't wait till the world sees it, August 10th. And my brother's also an executive producer in it, so. Don't yeah. Yes, so. sir. How has that night impacted your career after that? Well, I know, but tell them. You know, I know firsthand. Um, to me, it wasn't even about just the basketball. I remember, I remember you know, going, getting back, getting reinstated. A lot of people don't even know I took the NBA to court and won. Yeah, tell us about that. Right, so I, I didn't even know through, about that. You know, so I we felt- We were always there that day. Yeah, I felt, <laughs> we felt like we had the right to do what we did, right? And so going going through that whole arbitration, if I didn't, if we didn't, if I didn't have to go through the arbitration to get to the federal court, I would have been back playing sooner. So went through a situation where the judge said, hey, you had the right to do what you, you did. Mm. And it was, it was a, to me, when you talk about career and all this other stuff, that's the part that, that made me a little bit bitter towards everything because the NBA had an opportunity to write it. To write it, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Pacers had an opportunity to write it. Understood bottom line numbers matter the most, mm-hmm. right? They didn't know how to handle it. Um, so I understood that part, but once we went to court and got through that process, you would think that they would have said, okay, we good, but they didn't, mm-hmm. right? I come back, I get reinstated after 15 games. So you got 15, you got 30? I got 25. Yeah, 25, 25 at first. So you got shortened. You had 30? Yeah. All of them? I'll t- tell you why mine didn't get reduced. Oh. <laughs> the same day, Ron did something else crazy. During, during the middle of the arbitration. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was crazy because if, if again, if I don't have to go through the whole process of arbitration, I would have been back playing. Mm-hmm. So I get back, I get reinstated, and I still get, I still make the All Star team. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm a, I'm voted in as a starter. Mm-hmm. Me and my wife get to Houston, 
Bruh, it ain't a picture for me to be found. No, they're not fucking with you like that, dude. They're not fucking with me. Damn. They're not fucking with me. And that was the first time I understood. When, I, when I'm telling y'all, no picture, nowhere, like, you know, I'm a starter, right? So those are the pictures that you see first. Unless they see you walking around, they wouldn't even know. Bruh, I'm looking through the books. No picture. Damn. Right? And so that was like the moment where I really, like, really understood what that was, like, what the impact of that was. Mm. And um, that, to me, again, it wasn't personal for me. The thing that bothered me the most is when people of quote unquote substance that are talking about Jack, me, Ron, the NBA, players, uh, braids, tattoos, music, culture. Culture. That was a big thing for me, bro. Mm -hmm. Right, because now they are allowed to do, Bob Costas was one. Got a lot of respect for Bob Costas. Watch the doc, watch the thing. The thug word was thrown out there probably a thousand times. Mm. A thousand times. All of a sudden it's, it's, it's about, you know, hip hop music we listen to. It's about our, our cornrows, it's about our tattoos. It's about the color of your skin. Not knowing that day. hockey Right, I remember going through the whole arbitration process and the lawyer was bringing up some hockey stuff. Celebrate it. Get to beat the hell out of each other on a regular basis. People rooting that on, mm -hmm. right? They ain't talking about their hairstyle. They ain't talking about the music they listening to. B baseball, same way, right? You get to, you get to rush the mound, mm -hmm. get to throw some hands, mm -hmm. but they ain't thugs. Mm -hmm. So to me, it became more about a race thing and and it put our league in a position, and we all care about the league. It's been special to us, and it's special to our families, not only for us personally, but generationally, mm -hmm. right? And so that was the thing that was, was hurtful towards me, and then we had to have a muzzle, because we still got criminal that we're dealing with, and got civil standing right behind it. Mm, waiting on you. People waiting don't even know how, how long we was in court and all that dragging back and forth. It's like, oh, 10 years. Man, people don't even understand that. So, you know, so to me, it wasn't necessarily about the career because honestly, after that point, I understood what it was, right? It was no debate, right? You know, was, you have to be stupid, deaf, or blind to understand or not understand what was happening, right? You know, I knew that the league was really fucking with me before and then afterwards, you know, I had an opportunity. People don't know the stack knows this. I had opportunities, I don't even, you might not even know this, I had opportunity to step away from Ron and Jack in the whole process. Yeah, I remember. Oh, to separate yeah. yourself. Yeah. And have yeah. that, okay. Yeah. And I say that um, the league, I took a call the day after. Uh, people don't even know this. And they asked me um, to do some, a couple of things. And what I did, what Jack did, was in straight protection of your teammates. Of my teammates, right? When people talk about leadership, people talk about togetherness, people talk about brotherhood, that is tested when your ass is in a 20,000 seat arena and people at you, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, to go back to the question, the career thing wasn't necessarily the issue. Um, it was perception because I'm still dealing with that today. I was in Vegas this past weekend and I might have, nine people might have asked me about mm -hmm. the wrong. Mm -hmm. I can't. I cannot step away from it. I'm. I'm almost tired of talking about it, to be honest, because mm -hmm. kids are asking me that wasn't even born. Right. Right. 
So, you know, from a career standpoint, I still end up playing 18 years. The thing that I, I'm mad about the most, I didn't get an opportunity to, I'm the only one that actually didn't get an opportunity to win a championship in the whole process. That's all. And you and Reggie. Yep, and Reggie, yep. But talk to that too, because uh, Jack, I want to get back to you and, and what you went through and the shit you talked about. But in the midst of all this going on, you guys had one of the best teams in the league that year. We were the best team in the league when that happened. Facts. Facts. There's no question. Um, we won, we had the best record the year before and got beaten in the conference finals by Detroit. We mm -hmm. knew going, we hadn't already, you know, traded for Jack. We came back to camp. Everybody was in town early. We was like, you oh, we about to was. win this. Mm -hmm. oh, we, about, we about to whoop up on everybody. And then when that happened, it Like, it wasn't a situation. Like, you knew right away after that day that it was, it was done. Mm. Right? And I remember going and talking to Donnie and Larry and them and said, hey, look, man, like, Let's just hold on. Winning heals everything, right? I mean, just you know, every, things happen in professional sports. That year, the Colts had some things going mm -hmm. on their team. They held it together mm -hmm. like family would do, like any any other family. And it, they didn't. And it just, I remember, just you know, it, the city was broken. Um, the league was was broken because they felt pressure from corporate America about doing something and making changes, dress code pops up right afterwards. You know, people looking at us, you know, the same hugs and, and kisses you get walking in place, you ain't getting it no more because, mm -hmm. you know, people feel like you the reason. And the thing that I'm probably most disappointed about the most when we talk about journalism, right? The lack of people, the lack of um, professionalism that people uh, had towards this process, right? Not doing the work, not doing the whole. Well, it wasn't even about being right, it was about being first. What kind of story can I put out there about this without actually exactly. having any facts behind it? it Jack, so what happened? So let, let me interview you for a second. So you said you got 30 games yeah. and you, it, you had to do all because Ron did something else during your arbitration? Well, basically, J.O. went first and he basically laid the blueprint for us to all possibly get our games reduced, right? Because J.O. touched on something that nobody thought of. When he went up there, I remember this vividly. J.O. said, you know, I'm, I hear what everybody's saying. But my concern is, how are my kids going to look at me after watching this on TV all day? Mm -hmm. And that tore the room down. Mm -hmm. Like, they initially like, wow, we need, we're not thinking about your families and like that. And that's why J.O. got his games reduced. Because he, he brought a different side of that nobody was thinking about. Mm -hmm. Right? So, bam, as I'm sitting there, and J.O. is killing it. He over there killing it. Ron slides a letter over to me mid-arbitration, and everybody see him do it. You remember this? Well, and everybody like, pay attention, bro, I'm, and I, I don't even want to take it. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, everybody looking at us now. And the letter said, did you really hit the guy? I'm like, you asking me this during the middle of arbitration when we trying to get our games reduced? And, 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 and I'm talking about when he slid it over, man, it was loud and everybody looked. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, damn, I know we ain't going to get our games reduced. And we didn't. I get up there, you know, I, you know, I basically said, I didn't say the exact thing Jermaine said, but I was like, you know, that's my teammate. You know what I'm saying? We're family. I'm with them more than with my, I'm with my own family during the course of the year. So I just, I just did what a teammate should do. You know what I'm saying? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really elaborate on nothing else, and they, and they didn't reduce my games. But we still made the playoffs. We still made it out the first round, didn't we? Did we get yeah. to the second round? Still, yeah. after all that, we still made it to the second round. So that's how I know that team was good. You know what I'm saying? But mm -hmm. if Ron would have been more locked in, and Ron, at the arbitration, if he would've came dressed with Pat, man, he had on some tuxedo pants with a whole nother different color suit jacket. <laughs> with some, with some like, basketball, like, he, like, he did not take it serious at all. He did not take it serious at all, bro. Right. 
And, and, and that's a big reason why me and him to get our games loose, because he was talking, doing arbitration, and all kinds of stuff that was unnecessary. But I would say this, though, right? Like, it's like a human element that was, that was lost in this entire process, right? And I remember saying this on the stands when the prosecutor was, uh, was questioning me. I said, he asked, would you do this again? I said, in the same position? Absolutely. Gotcha. I said, would you go and knock on my door and tell my wife and kids that, the dad, that their dad and, their, and, and her husband is dead if one of those chairs hit me in my head? Mm-hmm. I said, so you have to ask yourself, what would you do mm-hmm. in a situation like that where it is no police officers mm-hmm. in there? Crazy. And in any bar, you throw a beer in somebody's face, assault. that's assault. That's assault, assault anywhere else. But when it comes to dealing with million-dollar black athletes, yeah. it's thugs going into the stands. And I saw, too, on your Breakfast Club interview recently, Jack, that if you guys didn't react to the beer being thrown, the fan would have just probably got to throw the beer. Th- that's basically what it was. Yeah, and you're right, right, man. Nothing would have happened to him. It would have just been a fan throwing the beer. They would have highlighted it, but they wouldn't have kicked right. him out, you know, right. suspended him for coming to games or nothing like that. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the One Million Black Businesses Initiative. The One Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale 1 million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field, from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The one million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. 
N. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Jay, you don't really, you're not really out in the media. You don't really speak much, but it was known kind of around the league that you don't have to get into super detail, but you had a hard time kind of forgiving um, the whole process. And, and there was a rift between you and Ron for a while. And it finally came, you know, you guys just, you know, you got cool a little while ago, but how hard was that? Like I said, just the overall understanding of the process and then kind of the internal rift with you two. <clears throat> I think if you know me, like, you know, I'm about the right thing. Right. Um, I am I am very intense in many ways. I am a zero to ten guy, but um, I like to talk things through. And and Ron, what I what I here's what I wish I would have knew back then that I know now is his struggles. Right. Mental health is a real thing in our in, in our world. And we all deal with things a little bit differently. Um, he he was dealing with it in a way that I didn't understand. But to, not to cut you off, but we're just starting to talk about mental health now. I'm thinking about this is 17 years ago. Yeah, so right, this right. is not even registering with us really, as anybody really registering with us. So go ahead. And I, I took it as, as disrespect. I mean, Jack was in a lot. I, I just took it as he was being disrespectful to all of our time and effort, right? And the Pacers was doing the best job that they, they could, I think, at the time. To, to hold it together. To hold it together because... Um, he would, we did, just didn't know, I mean, he would just not show up to stuff, right? I mean, people don't realize, too, um, that it really, for us, it start for me and him, it started the year before in the conference finals, right? Where the, after the game that Reggie got blocked, um, we didn't see him. Because remember, when, you know, when you go from your home to the way game, it was like two games in between. Mm -hmm. We didn't see him until shoot-around, two days later, right? And so that was kind of the real moment where I was just, I was just, I was past the point of, of friendliness, right? I wanted to scrap like all the time, mm -hmm. but I was uneducated, right? I wish I was able to be a better teammate to him versus being aggressive towards him, being more of a brother to him, mm. right? Because again, I didn't know. Um, and so I had an opportunity, um, to uh, sit down with him, you know, shout out to the big three. Uh, it was the first time I actually had lunch with him since wow. the time that. And how long, how long ago was this? That was two years ago. Okay. And me and him just sat and had lunch together and we kind of talked things through. Um, and we're just in a better place. The one thing that has keeps getting lost in his doc that he did two years ago, uh, and even this doc, I'm like, damn, why the hell, you know, things I'm saying about him isn't getting put into the doc? Because it seems mm -hmm. like they want to keep the. Yeah, that, that rift between me and him, I'm super proud of where he is today. Mm. Right? It takes a lot for a man to talk openly about his failures and his struggles and stuff like that. You know, we are all prideful you know, men, and to, to hear him say that um, means a lot, and I'm, 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 I'm proud of him from that perspective. But it's also big of you, you know, to kind of take in, you know, you're taking a step back. It's been 17 years removed, but trying to see, even though you were part of it, to see where you could have been better at, too. And I know yeah. Jack has done this before, too, to just to kind of see, like, damn, you know, 
I could have did this better to hope maybe it would have changed this. And most people are just like, no, fuck it, it's his problem. He should have did this. But, you know, to also put, you know, point the finger at yourself, feeling like where you could have did better as a person to try to hopefully solve. So that's growth, for you, you know, obviously, you know, with us being a lot I, older, but that's I big. Felt, I felt a different type of way, Matt, because the same counselor they had him seeing, they asked, they asked me to see. And I wasn't doing those things. So at the time, I was real insensitive to what he was going through, you know what I'm saying? Because we seeing the same lady, they got us talking to the same lady, but I ain't doing the dumb shit you doing. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? They calling me crazy too, but I ain't doing the dumb shit he, he was doing. So mm -hmm. I was kind of insensitive to it too, you know, because right. we talking to the same lady and really I felt like I was wasting my time talking to her. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But they felt like me and Ron was in the same boat for some damn reason. <laughs> so I'm sitting there talking to the lady and he, and you know, after we talked to her, he gonna do something else crazy. I'm like, well, look, man, I don't, I don't know what's going on. You know what I'm saying? So. I was I was kind of the same way. I was insensitive too. So before we leave this, I just want to say both them dudes are lucky as fuck that both of you guys didn't have solid footing. Is all I'm trying. Yes, to do. yes. Both of you guys slipped. Luckily, by the grace of God, God let y'all slip a little bit because y'all would have motherfucking daffy duck both them dudes. Like knock their beak to the back. <laughs> I got a, I, I got a good one off, but you right about a planet. Yeah, I would have well, tell both you, especially him, because you see Jay. Wind well, his that, shit up, and he, luckily he, he, he that slip stopped him from getting murdered. Because he would have knocked that dude head off. But, but y'all don't realize. So what you do not see is. So I had just. It was a guy. I don't know if it was an usher, whatever it, was it is, usher. that grabbed me around my neck, and he chunked the usher. Right, and so at that point, I'm in straight reaction mode. Right. Like, it's all the stuff that was on the table that nobody chose to use, like the league, or nobody chose to use it. They just chose to use the slide and punch, right. right? So I, boom, put him on the table, right? I turn to my left. I see Anthony Johnson on the floor. I never even saw the Haddad dude get into it. Mm -hmm. right? I see Anthony Johnson on the suit. He, he had, had a, had a break, break, broke his hand. He had a broken hand. And I just sprint over there because That's he's helpful. standing over him. Oh, the dude is. Yeah, he's standing over him. So at that point, I was like, look, I'm going to clean up everything. Mm -hmm. Right, okay. anything that comes near us, I'm cleaning it up. <laughs> you a big motherfucker right. too. Full so. <laughs> <So, laughs> speed, so he came full speed. Yo, so this is twenty something Jo. He's already big as a house right now. With these Bro. arms, I'm at his twenty something. I remember Jo was a strong motherfucker boy. So goddamn, we was in our prime but, too. But Matt, the yeah, thing, but the craziest part about it, bro, out of this whole process of the craziness. They come in, they try to pepper spray us, the players. Yeah, try to take us to jail. Mm. Mm. And we got hit with every beverage at the concession stand mm -hmm. ever had in the arena. Right. Going up out of there. You know, oddly enough, I mean, this happened 17 years ago, but this shit kind of reared its head again in the NBA this season with mm -hmm. spitting on people and throwing water bottles at people. To but me, there's no I've Ron Artestis and Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes right. and Jermaine on there right. no more. Because to me, and, and again, like, I think fans feel like they're they can come and like they're going to the zoo and you can mm -hmm. poke at the and like look at us as animals and I can say and, and and do and throw anything I want because I paid good money for this ticket and that's mm. the, the furthest thing from the truth and I'm surprised what happened with you guys doesn't happen more often because fans are still completely out of hand and it's crazy to me because it always seems like the league is trying to protect the fans and doesn't really give a fuck about what's going on with the players. You know, it's interesting mm -hmm. that you know I, I'm sure we all can vouch like going into opposing arena. Um, it's special. It's dope. I love it. Right. Yeah, it's special being in that environment and, and people yelling and screaming. It's a balance, though, right? I always tell people, you treat me the way you treat me if you, if you stand in front of me. Face to face. Mm -hmm. Straight up. Right? Because you spit on me, I don't care where we at. Oh, who That's you are. That's ass whooping. Right. Yeah, right? Who you are. I don't care. In game, out game, <laughs> church, like whatever church. it is, like it's right. going to happen. So, right. you know, I, that, you, want the, you want the interaction amongst people 
players and fans. But there's but a line. It's a line. You don't. Fans, you do not own the players because you pay for your ticket. Right. That does not mean you own the players. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think once they get that balance back, understand that we humans and we we have families and all that other stuff, then it'll yeah. fall into place. Hopefully the NBA get that cleaned up and other leagues because I really feel like fans are out of hand. And sometimes a fan needs the shit, the shit knocked out of them to make them realize. <laughs> you remember going after that, I got traded to go to state and we playing in Utah. Mm-hmm. They got a life-size cutout of me in the jail uniform, jail <laughs> under the basket. The NBA didn't say nothing, that. didn't say move it or nothing. It's right there in camera view, bro. I remember Just that. Just because of that, you know what I'm saying? And then with them calling us nigga this, nigga that, nigger. This, you know, yes, that was, ER. It was crazy. It was nuts, but anyway, moving on. Check man. on Check the Doc, man. August yeah. 10th, Netflix. Congratulations, Untold. yeah. Executive producer Jail, me and Ron. It's an opportunity to tell the full story. Unseen footage. Don't miss it. Put the rumors to sleep. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, moving forward, uh, 7 1 Agency, UNT Max started. Talk to us how that uh, got started. Man, it really, honestly, man. Uh, they trying to figure out what to do with all that damn money they still got. Them boys are rich, ain't <laughs> let's, let's do something, T-Mac, goddamn. Boys is rich as shit. Yeah, for real. Nah, what it really, what it really stopped. <laughs> I mean, Matt, you, Matt, you know, you know this, right? You know, it's it's a situation where in you sports, man, there's a lot of falsehoods, right? And these kids' opportunity is dwindling based off bad information. Mm-hmm. I always tell my parents and my organization, I said, look, you know, would you allow a, a career lawn care service guy to do your accounting? Hmm. But not nobody do that shit like that, right? So right. why are you allowing people to handle your kids and give mm-hmm. you this information that, by the way, don't make no sense? And right? they're not suited to give in the first place. Exactly. And so me and Matt was actually um, talking about it. And really, to be honest, uh, Jack, it happened at, right after George Floyd because we were talking because you heard about a lot about systemic oppression, right, mm-hmm. in, in, our, in our areas, right? Mm-hmm. And what that, to us, what that means is information and tools, right, the lack of information and tools. Mm-hmm. And I remember going into, and my wife donated some money to um, a school in South Dallas, and this was like in 2019, they didn't even have an operating computer. Mm-hmm. An entire school. 2019? In 2019, bro. And so, I, we, me and Matt was talking one day, he called me at the right time, I, was, I had just got off a call with another agency that I was trying to spark a deal with, and I was telling him what I was going to do. He said, man, I'm in. I, we need to do this. And that's how it really happened, right? Mm-hmm. We want to be leaders in the space and, and, and because we've been through it, right? We mm-hmm. understand it. At the highest level. At the highest level. And not only the, the good part about it, but also the bad parts mm-hmm. about it, right? Like the struggle, right? What that is. And uh, the struggle is what makes us who we are. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the idea of, of, of me and Matt getting together, uh, working on Mike Vick now, too, uh, we well, might get the, get the, get the contract back in, brother, so we can get this done. <laughs> for, him be, oh, for him to be, for him to him to head that football. football side, that would be dope. Yeah, that'd be really dope. You have you got so is it officially? Is it started yet? Or are you guys still in the process of? So it's official now. Okay. It's official now. We went through uh, almost a three month process uh, negotiations with a bunch of different agencies, but we realized that they basically wanted us to work for them and do the same work. So we mm-hmm. might as well fund it ourselves and own it ourselves. Um, and put our own DNA uh, mm-hmm. and not bring old blood into it. So uh, we're super excited about it, man. Um, uh, you know, it's a special era right now with NIL stuff going right. on. Right. Uh, shout out to, you know, whoever had hands in on that. Now these kids can make some money off their likeness, mm-hmm. uh, not just the schools. 
I wanted to ask, I mean, also you have your beautiful facility um, out there in Dallas. You throw the end of the summer, I mean, you throw a handful of tournaments, but you have the end of the summer tournament that's coming up in a couple of weeks that we'll be at for the second time. But how did that come about too? Because you have a beautiful facility. I know, you know, rest in peace, Kobe, he was doing the Mamba stuff out here and he started to kind of capitalize on that. And then I went to Dallas, I'm just like, oh shit, JL shit is incredible. Have you been to this shit out there? No, but I, I, I was, oh, I was um, when he first bought the land, like he was, I was talking to him during all that time. He had some pictures of the land. Well, talk to us how that went because I, I know that the city helped you do it, correct? As yeah, far as yeah, help, help, helped uh, support it. But talk to us how that process went because I think it's beautiful. I mean, you have AU basketball, your daughters, and you have you have volleyball. You yeah. have kind of just a whole year-round facility that's absolutely beautiful. Shout out Asia. Yeah, shout out Asia. She's she's been she's my daughter's actually the reason why the facility happened. Right? We moved to to Texas uh, seven years ago, eight years ago, something like that. Uh, maybe my wife probably moved nine years ago, but um, long story short, um, we had to take her to different places to get all the services. And the only services I knew was out of one building as a pro, right? right. So that was the idea of building it. Obviously, uh, Dallas has a ton of different facilities, or, you know, but none of them was built like Just that. Just a one-stop shop. Right, one-stop shop. Um, it was one of the hardest things I've ever did in my life, bro, to be honest. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, society reminds you um, on what's going on, the builder that built that facility had just built another one, literally walked off that site to my site to start building. And it was two owners on the previous facility that one was did hotels and one did restaurants. Um, and so he brought a banking company, he brought two uh, banking institutions with him and they funded it. Real. When they came to me, like I'm career sports guy, right? Mm -hmm. Prime real estate, balance sheet, everything. Couldn't get a fucking loan. Really? I ended up building, like, they, they went through the whole dog and pony. And this is why I knew this was God's will and God's plan because other doors kept opening. And so I ended up building that facility myself. Mm. Cash. Mm. Right? So it's 14. Nobody never builds, you know, you know, use that's their own cash. That's huge, right. too. That's a big-ass place. Yeah, and it was just one of those things, bro, where just, I knew it was God's will because now it's leading into other things, whether it's 7-1 or whether it's, you know, we're doing uh, filming, about to start telling stories in, in the youth mm. sports space, too. So um, ultimately, it's a legacy project for me. Um, we had guys like uh, Kay Cunningham is out of my program. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. R.J. Hampton, uh, who was drafted last year, um, Therese Maxey, uh, Jemias Ramsey, Drew Timiak and Zaga. Mm -hmm. Um, Timmy. Of, yeah, we have a ton of ton of players out of there. Uh, Sam Williamson. Um, so it's really one of those things where I'm, I want to look back um, at the impact that we've had, not only on the surface, but away from the surface. Because yeah. we take kids out, you know, to the communities, bringing truckloads of food, donating money to schools, mm -hmm. you know, kind of the whole thing. And we're going to do these in other places. Uh, back in my hometown, working on the deal with Clint in Columbia, South Carolina. We're gonna build one, and also one uh, in Buffalo. So, mm. looking at you know that's the space I want to be in. I'm very passionate about it. Uh, give some of these kids an opportunity um, that I have. Well, it's just the shit we wish we had when we were younger. Yeah, you know I mean we're playing outside or playing in these dusty gyms, and I mean you have a state of the art facility. Like you said, it's it's a one stop shop with basketball, volleyball. You got the soccer field in the back. You got the weight room. You got the training. You got everything so it's a beautiful thing just don't give us no fucking 8 a.m games bro we coming all the way from cali don't give us that motherfucking 8 a.m game we gonna be all right so, i got you bro hey talk to us about your upbringing um south carolina what was like when did you find basketball family dynamic 
you know, I think we all have, you know, different stories uh, when it comes to our upbringing. Um, South Carolina, Columbia in particular, um, it took a community to raise me, right? Didn't know my father, right, until I was 30. Um, you know, my high school coach, George Glimp, shout out to him, Eau Claire High School, entire community, uh, the metro, um, the city, uh, really took the time with me. I remember, um, you know, I was, I was, I was, I was, the streets is all we know is in, in our inner city areas, right? And that is, those are the leaders for us in many ways. And, and sometimes the OGs, uh, they do it right, sometimes they do it wrong. Mine did it right, right? Mm-hmm. When they started seeing me progress as an athlete, they started pushing me to the side. Like, sure, right, tell you. Bro, you can't, you can't be out here, bro. You need to go over here. I remember at the games, you know, they said, okay, if you go and you, and you, you, you hit your grades in school and, and, and you hit these numbers on the court, we're going we gonna to set you up. They used to pop little maximum trunks. They got polos, Jordans, and everything in there waiting on me, right? And, and it kept me motivated to do the right thing, right? Because I, know, I felt the love and the support. Um, and it definitely took a community to raise me. My mother did a phenomenal job, but it's the certain things that a mother can't she can only do reach, so much right mm-hmm. by herself. Um, and so, you know, the city has been just just been phenomenal to me, man. And um, you know, I gotta say this to um, some of my OGs, Bernard, Pig, uh, Richard, um, all those guys, June, Laurie, Pooh Abrams, uh, guys that really had hands in on my development. That's dope. When did you uh, find the game of basketball? Man, I, I, I must have, I don't know about y'all, I, I, I didn't really start playing it until my freshman year. I was like 6'2", you know, my freshman year. Really? Bro, I went from like 6'2 to 6'11 in three months. Damn. What were them knees feeling like? I had to be braced, yeah, like Forrest Gump. I'm saying, yeah. Real story. Like Osgood, Slaughter, all that <laughs> shit kick in. That shit was the worst, wasn't it? Man, it was crazy. Ten to nine is all that yeah. kicking in at one time. Man, I, I was playing football, and then I grew to six, six, ten, six, eleven. And my my junior varsity coach was like, "Bro, listen, you gonna need to make a career change, <laughs> mm-hmm. right?" And I was like, "Okay." And uh, shout out to Lewis Dreer, um, who was really the the architect. Uh, I remember having to take dance classes one, two after every practice. Get like, footwork right. Holding his hand, right? One, two, one, two. Um, he really taught me a lot, and then Coach uh, George Glenn really kind of put it over the top with um, becoming a, a true father figure um, that had uh, rules and regulations to how we do that, do this shit every day. I grew six inches from freshman year to 10th grade. Yeah, I was six foot. Going into my sophomore year, I, I walked in at six six, and I, it was similar, but this was trials. I was out there running routes for football. Season ain't started yet, and I'm trying to try out and go play football as a receiver. And during probably like my second route, I see my coach and my mom and my uncle walking towards the field. You know, my mind back then, I'm thinking somebody got killed in my family, something bad didn't happen. They all go, mm-mm, take the cleats off, all that shit off, you ain't doing this. You, got, you, you, you don't see what you're going to basketball, but we see it. I'm like, man, I can do both. I'm Deion Sanders. I can do both. <laughs> nah, I come your ass off. So that was similar to me. They 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 saw something in me that I didn't see in myself at that time either. Yeah. He was probably scared to get hit anyway. Huh? He would have been scared to get hit anyway. Nah, I was I was the cleanest out there, and I think they didn't like that. You know, I was gonna be clean, fresh cleats. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, dope, yeah. You know, I was dope boy back then, so I had everything. <laughs> Who did you model your game after? Man, I don't know, man. I'm, I, you know, honestly. Um, Akeem Elijah was probably my favorite. Mm, the dream. I remember, first, I remember my first 
first time checking him, bro, was I was trying to hold on for dear life. Right? <laughs> he, the, he was he was the strongest, most agile. I'm not even sure why when people talk about greatest centers ever, his name does not pop up. He could arguably be D, B number one. Exactly. Arguably be number one. On both sides of the court, he dominated, right? He all-time leading shot blocker. Mm -hmm. He gave you the business. Footwork was impeccable. I can tell shot. you why. I know why. Because he was Muslim. Mm -hmm. Because, it was, and you're going to hear about it, and the doctor's coming out about it. Um, they told him that um, he had a conversation with, with David Stern. And if you notice, he, his name wasn't blew up like we don't talk, like we don't hear it much now, even after he won the championships. And they don't talk about it when they talk about the Hall of Fame players because he had a riff with David Stern about it. David Stern told him if he publicized that as much as he did, that he wouldn't get the look that he was supposed mm -hmm. to get, and that's why you never hear about it. That's crazy. Wow. And it's crazy that he used to get busy. He used to fast all the time, too. Yeah. He won two championships faster. That's crazy. Mm. Akeem, huh? What, uh, what stands out to you? Obviously, you get a late start, but once you get going, you know this is what you're supposed to be doing. What, what, what do you remember the most about your high school playing days? He was the biggest person in our class. And <laughs> thought no. he was on steroids or some shit. This motherfucker's huge, bro. Him and Tim Tim. Like, I remember seeing Lester Earl. I remember seeing those two. They weren't bigger than you, though. I mean, Tim was bigger than me. Tim, not Lester Earl, though. I don't know, but I was I was thin though. Uh, you was thin. He I was, was thin. thin, but but I remember I remember seeing Tim Thomas, and I was like, because I heard a lot about him, and I was like, damn, this motherfucker, he like two thirty in high school. Had a guard, playing like a guard yeah, out there. Guard but people don't understand. Like back then, we didn't know about a motherfucker till we actually saw them face to face. Like you would hear, or you might be mm -hmm. able to read about him in a little magazine, but I wasn't reading. Like you didn't know about who you was going up against until you was warming up or seeing him at the, yeah. at the tournament. Yeah, we actually, the first time I saw him um, was at ABCD. I was just about to say that. And it was like, I was like, damn, he he is advertised. Mm. Like, he he can go. And that was, I think my real first AAU experience was um, probably going to Nike All-American. It wasn't necessarily the games, it was the camps where, I remember Jelani McCoy was there. Mm -hmm. um, it was uh, Steph Garnett. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> this was the class before us. Yeah, right? I, was, I was like, damn, like I ain't never, bro, I had never been outside of my city at that point. Mm -hmm. So it's in Chicago. And I'm like, damn, bro, I need to, I need to go get my shit together. Like these mm -hmm. boys can play. And that was like the first time I knew that I had to put in some work because it was some real dogs. Like, you know, where we from, you know, we we killing in our neighborhoods, then that's our measurement stick. Right. Right. Then you get outside of your neighborhood and you realize that you, damn, you you really can't compete now unless you go put in some work. Mm -hmm. And so seeing those boys really inspired me, man, and, and that was kind of like the kicker for me when it came to AAU. Mm -hmm. who, so who, who was, I mean, obviously I know your draft class, but who were some of the, the, the top cats in, during, in AAU during that run for you? Because you guys are the same year, right? Yeah, we the same year. Ronnie Pills, Cole, Cole, Bibby, Shea Cotton, Shea Cotton, uh, Baron Davis. Baron Davis was high up there too, but he was a year younger than us. Um, Corey Benjamin. Yeah, nice. Corey Benjamin. Yep. Why? Winfrey Walton. Yep. Richard, Richard Hamilton. Yeah, Rip Ed Coda. But Ronnie, it was, at the top was him, Ronnie Fields, Kobe, and Tim Thomas. What about Felipe and Mike Lopez? Bibby. Was Mike Bibby, too. Mike Bibby was at the top. Yeah. Was Felipe, uh, Felipe Lopez older? Nah. He's not. He was, yeah, he, was, he was a show older. He was older. He was older than, he was, yeah. older than everybody. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, he was, he was 95, if I'm not mistaken. So what went into your decision um, 
to let you know you were ready to make the jump, skip college, and make that jump to the pros? Brother, honestly, I didn't, I didn't know. I knew I wasn't physically ready. Uh, I went to jail um, my, my senior year uh, on a statutory rate um, charge, um, possible charge. At the time, I didn't know, which I think is important, especially for all the youth uh, to understand this, is that every state has a legal age limit to have consensual, consensual sex. Right now, this girl I had been with for two years, my girlfriend. Oh, she was mm-hmm. a girl girl. She was my girl girl, mm-hmm. right? She was a cheerleader on the team and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had not met her pops, crazy to think, in two years. I met mom, been over the house, um, sisters, everything. Long story short, he comes home, I'm over at the house, didn't catch us doing anything, just caught me in the room. He hits her, I hit him, uh, stayed with the girl till the police came. He filed um, a charge on me and then it became one of those situations. All over where we was trying to blow that shit up. Bruh, and especially being in South Carolina, and if you, you, know, you gotta know the history, like the Confederate flag mm-hmm. was just recently taken off the state house, right? That was a real thing um, where you grew up not understanding that you can even date outside of your race. Like, I didn't even know I could, it was even cool until 96 when I got drafted to do so, right? And so if you're living, you're living in an environment, you're going through a situation where now, um, at the time, I was the number one player in the country, right? And all of a sudden, I'm in, I'm in jail, and they're talking about giving me 10 years. Mm, damn. Right? And so, you know, I go through that whole process, get reinstated. I finally get reinstated. Um, I hyperextend my knee the first game back with all with Patino, NBA scouts, everything. Um, and then Patino had a meeting with us, uh, me and my mom in my house. He said, look, we'd love to have you. We're going to be good with you or without you, but you probably should go pro. Mm. Where was he at at that time? Kentucky. So. Right, and so that was like the moment where I knew, he said, look, we know, you know, I know you, you, you're probably not going to, you, you listed between 10th and 17th. You're never going to fall beyond 17th. And at that point, I was so worn out, bro, and I seen opportunities starting to, drift a little bit. Um, and you know, the whole idea of going to jail and being heard and now people starting to question, you know, should I even be a pro? I said, let me go, let me go make this money. I knew that my determination and my mindset was built for it. Physically I knew I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I was only like two and like seventeen pounds or something like that. Um, but that was that was that was the deciding factor to be honest. I gotta ask you this question though. I should have won MVP, right? Uh, McDonald's? Yeah. Yeah. By yeah. far. Okay. I just wanted to hear that. I just wanted, I just wanted to hear that from all the top players, you know? Yeah. I just yeah. wanted to hear from all the top players, yeah. you know what hey. I mean? <laughs> our starting five, I, I think I think we had one of the best starting fives ever in McDonald's game history. Me, you, Cole, Tim, and uh, Tim Thomas. We could have added Rip Hampton, probably better, but Shaheen Holloway. It was me, you, Shaheen Holloway, Kobe, and Tim Thomas. But you remember, they didn't start me because remember, I was in the hospital the whole week. Right, right, uh, what's, right. What's the, what's the uh, big fella? Uh, Jason Collier? Nah, the, uh, he went to North Carolina. Hathaway? Russian. Uh, Basile Eftemar. Yeah, yeah. Basile he, he was a dog, too. Yeah, he, he had to play the game, too, when yeah. he dunked on Lester Hill. <laughs> he did. <laughs> he was the player of the game. Yeah, he, um, yeah it, it, it was a dope, it's projected dope start. I didn't start because I didn't make any, I think I went to one practice, and, like, the altitude was... It was, was Denver? It was in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Now, obviously, did you briefly dabble? Do, if you thought about college, who were some of the, the, the schools you thought about? It was, uh, it was down to um, Kentucky, Maryland. Uh, Maryland was close to the U.S. Joe Smith. He was recruiting me to go to Maryland. 
and that was one of my favorite players in college. Oh, shout out to um, He was a monster out there, mm-hmm. bro. Ooh. Um, South Carolina, where I'm from, Clemson, obviously being in South Carolina, and Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, if I don't went to school, it, it would have been to Kentucky because Kentucky had the pedigree to winning national championships and putting mm-hmm. players in the pros. So you decided to make the jump. You're the 17th pick of the Portland Trailblazers. How come you didn't go to the draft? Bro, honestly, man, um, you know, back then, when you made the decision to go pro, you forfeited your college eligibility. Completely. So if I don't get drafted, then I got to go find a job. Mm. Right? And so the nervousness coming off all the stuff that I went through my senior year, I was just like, bro, I need to be. I need to be home. I need to be around people that I, that know me, that understand me. Love you. Uh, yep, that support me. And so I just decided to stay and and, and get a ballroom. Um, shout out to Aaron Tellum, who stood who stood beside me the entire time, who kept me calm. I know back then, as a seventeen year, I wasn't the easiest person to keep calm. You know, back then, but uh, he became like a pops to me, man. So. Um, you know, he, he, he don't understand how much he means to me in, 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 in my entire career. Well, I mean, talking about that draft, that's one of arguably the best draft classes or one of them ever. Uh, Kobe, Iverson, uh, Ray Allen, Stephon Marbury, Steve Nash, Marcus Camby, uh, Antoine Walker, mm-hmm. Sharif Abdul-Rahim, yourself. Um, so that experience from high school, skipping college, jumping to the pros, but then back in then, people don't understand, like, there was real OGs and real grown mm. men back in the league, mm. back in the day, like the real vets. So what was your experience like transitioning? Like you said, you may not have been ready physically. You made the jump. You made it. What was it like early on in your career? Because you didn't get a chance to really play early on and experience that success. He had some dope success. OGs. He had some dope vets, though. Yeah, man. Uh, the late, great Cliff Robinson. Rest in peace. Uh, rest in peace. Uh, Gary Trent. I mean, Gary Trent was the first one. He came and got me from the airport. Um, taught me a lot of things. Um, she, obviously, Sabonis. And the, and the teams kind of changed, you know, year over year. Detlef Shrimp, Scottie Pippen. I mean, it just kept going. Um, I was able to take a lot of different ingredients from a lot of a lot of players, whether it's Kenny Anderson, Damon Stoudemire, Greg Anthony, Brian Grant, um, Bonzi Wells, mm-hmm. and Stacey Augman, J.R. Ryder. Yeah. Um, it, it just kept going. Um, on and on, and it was really, honestly, for me, it was the best place for me because it was a one sports town city. Mm-hmm. Right? I didn't have the pressures of a big city, right? They they groomed me as if, as if it, it was college one-on-one, mm. right? And so every year I was able to kind of grow and, and mature a little bit more. I remember Rick Carla, I remember he, him coming to my house. People don't know about this, but I was so salty because Garnett and Cole was getting an opportunity and I wasn't. And back then, that was when high school to the pros just started. So the microscope was like, you know, bearing down on me. And you know, people were like, "Oh, well, he's a bust." You know, he couldn't, not knowing that I just wasn't getting an opportunity. Right. And I remember Rick Carlisle coming to my house, and I wouldn't because I, I stopped going to the games. <laughs> this is your, your this first year, your year, my first year. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I ain't playing. I ain't coming. I ain't coming. So I remember talking <laughs> to him. I'd come to the house. I put the chain on the door and, and talk to him through. The, <laughs> this <laughs> through your head the coach, door. right? No, he was assistant coach. Oh, okay. uh, Carlissimo was the head coach. Okay. Um, but he was the one that kind of walked me through this thing, man, and uh, became the guy that was just assigned to me to make sure that I, you know, that I made the right moves. And man, and when I look back at this now, you know, it wasn't the, the transition wasn't as tough physically 
as it was mentally. Absolutely. What was the, what was the turning point? When did you start getting some time on the court? What season was that for you? Shit, man, I went, bro, I went four years of the roller coaster up and down, but when I knew, my third year probably was when I knew because I started out playing the guys that were playing in front of me. Like, I was pissed off all the time because at the time, Mike Dunleavy uh, was making things incredibly hard for me, right? You know, I'm always there before, thereafter. You know, I ain't played in the first two quarters, put me in the game in the third quarter for two minutes. You know, Bullshit. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, that just pissed me off, and I just continued to work harder. I knew playing against Sheet and them every single day right. in practice. That's right. back then when we had to practice. Yeah, yeah. he had to bump too. Yeah. Right. It was the real, it was the real, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't no rest days, it wasn't mm-hmm. none of that stuff. It was like you was practicing when you wasn't playing. And it prepared me right away. And I knew, you know, uh, as going into my fourth year, um, which is old banana in the tailpipe, I was a free agent and decided to not take a starting role either with Orlando or Chicago. And went back to Portland because we had just lost in the conference finals against the, the Lakers. I said, well, we, should, we got a chance to win it all. I'm going to go back and then contribute. And it just didn't work out that didn't way. Work out. Talk to us about that experience with the Lakers. The 2000 Lakers come down to game seven. Uh, what was that series like? Man, I, listen, I, I probably cried <laughs> maybe 20 times in my life, bro. Kobe had some big shots, boy. Bruh. This is your first real taste of the play- NBA playoffs, right? So we have made the playoffs every year, but we're in the conference fight. So that was the, that was the, I went back for that reason. Mm-hmm. And we were up, fifth, I think, 15. Mm-hmm. And th- like the Staples Center emptying out, me and Bonzi on the bench talking about what we about to do with, you know, with our, with our bonus, our, our, <laughs> our NBA finals bonus checks and all this stuff. And then uh, I think Brian Shaw banked in fucking three. And it was a started to run. Started to run, bro. And it was just to me, it was just mismanagement of the team, right? You play these, you play the guys through the process of this run, and they make this run, then you sub them, right? With guys that ain't been playing. Right. And so it just one of those things where um a lot of things went into us losing that game, but that was the one that I was, I was, I remember sitting on the bench. I told Bonds, I said, bro, this is it. I ain't coming back. Mm-hmm. Tears in my eyes and everything. I said, bro, I'm going somewhere else. I said, because, you know, this time is up. But that was the one that really hurt us because that team was probably on paper the most talented team y'all in the was, league. Y'all right. was shit. Bro, we had Steve Smith, Scottie Pippen, Brian Grant, She Wallace, Sabonis, Bonzi. You? Me, uh, Damon Sotomayor. Bro, we are super deep. Yeah. There's no way in hell we shouldn't have won a championship. Mm-hmm. One of the best teams never to win it. Yep. Go ahead, Jack. What was that fourth quarter like, the one that got away from y'all with Kobe? Bro, one of the 20 times that I've cried in my life. I'm trying to tell you. Bro, I remember, I remember sitting on the bench, literally tears coming out of my eyes because, bro, you put so much into it. Um, and as a young player, you know, you I knew that these opportunities don't come around. You know, I'm just hearing all the OGs talk about it and to have an opportunity to, to, to shit, to, to play in the NBA Finals, bro, like you grew up watching that. Yeah. The Jordans, the, you know, the, 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 you know, the Magics, the Isaiah Thomases, the Larry Birds. And it was, just, it was, it was a hard pill to swallow, but um, the good part about it, it helped me understand what it took to be a pro and to, to have the opportunity to get there. Mm-hmm. I mean, looking back on it now, how dynamic were Kobe and Shaq? 
And that was good D on, on the, the two shots he hit at the end, too. That was great defense, too. He still drained him. Man, you know, obviously Kobe, you know, I mean, you know, y'all know how we feel about him. Um, he's one of the greatest. I think to me, he's he's more closer to Mike than anybody. Anybody, not right. even close. Yeah. And he is he is he was, has a he had a dog mentality that was about winning, winning, winning. Right. Shaq. Uh, people don't realize how big Shaq is, bro. <laughs> Especially but you agile, just say that, that let you know agile, how big he is. Too. Agile, big, was, how agile strong Shaq he was, was bro. Yeah. I mean, like, it was like he was playing with like a little tennis Nerf ball, ball all the time in his hand because he was so big. But he he just changed the game, bro. And, and many times, the league didn't know how to officiate Shaq. Right. I mean, he was just that, he was that agile. He was, I don't know if we'll ever see a specimen of a player like that ever again in line. Because the game has changed so much. Yeah. He's incredible. Summer of 2000, you traded to Indiana for Dale Davis. Kind of understanding this, the, the business side of it. Mm. What was that like for you? And I remember, uh, I remember going into uh, the champs downtown, and I'm talking about these damn people were bad. Because they had just came off a finals appearance. And they, they traded, you know, uh, Dale, which is a fan favorite, mm -hmm. for basically an unknown. And so that was challenging for me to hear people talk about that in, 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 a, in a bitter way, right? Um, and obviously how people felt about Reggie and him winning the championship. It was, it was difficult, but uh, Reggie Miller is, is, is one of my favorite teammates of all time because he is, he's, a, he's a winner, right? Yeah. He's a winner in every aspect of the word. And he could have easily deaded that trade. Easily. Trade for him, trade me. Mm. He's like, nah, bring in the young boy. I remember, he, I remember having a conversation. He said, I'm going to let you be whatever you want to be as long as you work for it. That's dope. He, did, this, he did the same for me. Reggie did the same for me. Especially yeah, Reggie is, is unbelievable, bro. He meant so much to, to me in my career. And that's why that, that, that brawl situation... I probably wanted to win it more for him yeah. than it was for myself. Right. We, I think I think we all did because, like, to, to touch on what he said, they brought me in the next year, the year Reggie was retiring, and Reggie was basically stamping me as the person to fill in when he leaves. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So that year was special for all of us for, for Reggie. Reggie. You know what I mean? Because we knew we had the team. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, and to not do it was a, it was a letdown. Even though we came back and still fought in the playoffs, it was a letdown for all of us because we wanted to do it so bad for Reggie. Right. I mean, it was crazy too that. Reggie probably, that situation was so bad that it forced him to retire. Yeah. Mm. Reggie had probably two more years in it. Really? Mm -hmm. Just a lot. It was like a lot, bro. On that mental side. So you're coming into Indiana. Are you, you get the starting role or yeah. how, does that, how does that work out? I came in right away, started, uh, one most improved right away. I was fully prepared by all the work right. um, and education I took from all the players in Portland. Um, so it was, I was like, well, shit, ain't nobody I'm going to see in front of me right. that I, that's better than the ones that I've been playing right. practicing against every day right. in practice. Reminding people what the power forward game was like and who was around back then. This is Duncan, KG, Weber, Rashid, a young Dirk, a young you. That's back when power forwards were a, a pivotal part of a mm. team. Man, I remember, you know, like every night it was something. Like I, I remember every time I thought about like what I needed to eat because I got KG and them coming in town. I got <laughs> Dirk, I got Sheed, I, Sewell, Sewell was a monster. Mm. Um, 
People don't understand how good C. Webb was. Oh, man. C. Webb was a killer. He was a killer, bruh. And he was, I mean, he had everything, man. And um, it forced you to be the best version of yourself almost every night. And even like scenarios where, I mean, back then it was a grind. I mean, bro, you was like, that post was a grind. I mean, mm-hmm. Ben Wallace and those guys. I mean, Theo Radliff and those guys. I mean, hell, Oak was still in the league. But the game went through the post back then, too. Went through the post. It had to touch the post for any outside shots was going up. Inside out. Inside yeah. out. That's why I remember I used to wear the little back brace. Yeah. I had like a little like steel plate that I used to put in there. People always complain about it because I always like to spin up off of them. So put the, oh, slide right off. Hell yeah. Like, they was like, damn, what's this? <laughs> <laughs> it was like an old damn backplate back there, but the game was different, bro. It was it, it was uh, it was a grind, and I think the competitive nature, where um, kind of like the Pistons Pacers scenario, people really fuck with each other. Yeah. But on the court, it was either you or me. Cutthroat. Yeah. It's a different league. Different league, bro. Mm-hmm. Wasn't no hey man, call me, call me. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'll meet you in the. Well, none of that. Right. We, we, we off mm-hmm. the court. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. I'm not guarding like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. So what was it like coming into that situation? You're starting most improved player. You guys are starting to put the ingredients together. You know, after them going to the finals the year before, they're starting, not, not starting over, but trying to regain that. What was it like building that team back up? Well, they... they uh... It started with Isaiah Thomas. Um, I gotta shout him out too, bro. Zeke. Zeke meant so much to me, man. And Miss Thomas for all the meals that she cooked at her house. <laughs> um, he he just he's always have us over talking about like history. 
Um, so he started the confidence in myself, Al Harrington, Jonathan Bender, Jeff Foster. Um, and then Rick Carlisle came in and was able to put the icing on the cake when we knew that we were ready to compete. And then obviously getting Jack, um, Ron, um, uh, Brad Miller. Right. That was one of the worst things that the Pacers ever did was, was trade Brad Miller. Mm. Um, that was like my ace down there. Um, and we, we just knew, bro, like, you know, we hadn't been through it. Jack hadn't already won a championship with San Antonio. Mm-hmm. He knew exactly what it was. What people don't realize, we had a different level of grit. Yes. Couldn't be taught. It was like, bro, we had all been through something. Oh, man, it was... And it was so funny, man, that um, we were so tight. Um, I remember... I remember I got to tell this story, Jack. I remember um, you got into it at the, at the uh, strip club. Yes. yes. And so, like, I get a call from my nanny. It's like, what, 2, 3 o'clock three, in the morning? 3 o'clock in the morning. Like, she's like, Jack dead. I said, like, what? Yeah. What you mean? She's like, Jack, he's, he's dead. I was like... He's at the hospital, so I, 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 don't, I forgot who told me what hospital it was. So I, I rushed to the hospital. No, no, no. You met this, no, no, you skipping the whole part. At the gas station. We met at the gas station right up the street from the club first. You the reason why I went to the hospital, because remember, I'm, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to hurt somebody. I, I done got back, I done shake back, my lips are torn, <laughs> teeth gone, everything. I'm mad as hell, Jay, I'm like, man, I, we gotta find out where they go. Jay, said, Jack, I'm with, I'm with all that, bro, listen. You got to go to the hospital. Because he was looking in my mouth until my lips, my teeth was gone. He's like, and that's why I went to the hospital. You sh- as soon as you said that, my shit just instantly started hurting because everything came down and I realized. And he the reason why I went to the hospital. You don't remember that. You came to the gas station, bro, like a, a couple of blocks up. And you told me, like, no, bro, you have to go to the hospital. Bro, listen, his face didn't even look real, bro. Mm. Like, I remember seeing him. I don't know if you remember this. I, when I first walked up, I just stopped. I remember, I couldn't remember where I walked up, and so I thought it was in the hospital, but I guess it was at the gas station. And I looked in his face, and I paused. <laughs> I said, oh, shit, man, we got to go get, <laughs> we gotta go get the hospital. I, I said, bro, like, this, your face, bro, his slips was so big, bro, and it was like one of those situations where, like, I knew, he knew I was down for him, like, whatever. Mm-hmm. But they we, stayed right there. I, I have to have plastic surgery on my lips. My lips were so swollen that they couldn't numb them. Mm-hmm. Because my lips were so big, if they would put down the station, they would have burst. Him, Al, Damn. Rick Carlisle, uh, my, my wife at the time, they all stood right there and watched me have plastic surgery, bro, for two hours. Bro, oh, no painkiller. No so, painkiller. It was so bad, like, I almost forgot that I was a professional athlete. Like, we wanted to actually remember, I said, but first we're going to need to take you to the hospital yeah, first. Yeah, We're going to kill and, everybody. Bruh. We was hot, dog. Everybody was mad, you know what I'm saying? But how it went down, because I had nothing to do with it. It was me again. Helping out one of my teammates, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, and me getting caught caught up caught up in it. But to what he's saying, like they really rolled for me, bro. Cause like I said, they didn't have to come to the hospital, right. you know what I'm saying. They, didn't have, they stood there with me the whole time until until, until the, the surgery was done. And I remember, bro, when when he when he did the last stitch, cause I was holding Rick Carlisle hand and, and uh, Ronaldo hand the whole time, squeezing, cause I had to fight the pain. He cut that last stitch and he put his hand on my chest and said, "I'm done." I told him, "I say." 
Pass and I out. went straight to sleep, dog. Mm. I slept through x-rays. I don't remember nothing after that until being home. That, that, and that's when the night Baron called me. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole nother story. But lucky I gave you that pretty boy miss to get your, your looks back. Yeah, I, I, I hit that every day, you yeah. know what I'm saying? But if you, like, come, I, if you, if you yeah. come closer to my lips, and I, I show you, you'll be like, man, goddamn, I don't know how you survived that, mm-hmm. bro. Mm-hmm. Before we go on, you mentioned a name that I don't think people understand how good he was, too, because he was young. How good was Jonathan Bender? We stayed right by each other, so we talked about this all the time, dog. Jonathan Bender, he was, he was seven foot tall. Can you compare him to anybody's game, or was there wasn't no one like him? Now, who'd you compare Jonathan to? I would say he was a guard version of Stromile Swift, mm. with handles and a three-point ball and all he, that. I, we just say, I think athleticism, yeah, but his game was significantly different because he could handle. That's what I'm saying, like, shoot threes and all yeah. that. Like he could shoot it from deep. You know, he just, it was a career cut short because his, his knee, mm-hmm. like his meniscus kind of this AAU thing, he's playing too many games, and mm-hmm. he came in beat up, but, I mean, that kid, if he had an opportunity, if before his knee... time, because he was a stretch four before stretch four. Man, he'll, he'll want, he wasn't he, even a stretch four, though. He, he was, was a three, three guard. guard. Was he a three he at that big? He was six yeah. eleven. But, man, me, he wouldn't practice for 30 days. He'll come to practice one day and do something crazy and practice for everybody. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Like, his, he wouldn't practice at all that. Keep in mind, he'll come practice one day and dunk on somebody that do something crazy, but be like... Bro, if this motherfucker get healthy, mm-hmm. it's over, bro. Cause he played the two, three, four. Mm. He never, he never played the four. He never went to the four. That's we stayed because I stayed right across the street from him. Jail stayed around the corner, so we all stayed close to each other. Yeah. But Jonathan Bender dog was so special, bro. That's, that's one player. If he could have stayed healthy, bro. Mm. What if? Yeah. What if? Yeah. And just think, he was on the team that we had with that's Ron Artest, me, Reggie. Right. So just imagine we had him in the lineup. Right. That's what I'm saying. So 04, you guys reached the conference finals against Detroit. Uh, talk to us about that series. That was jail ball. Man, it was, uh, it was probably one of the most physical series I've ever been involved with, right? You knew what you were getting from the Pistons, right? Right. Uh, so much respect for those guys. Uh, she, Ben Wallace, uh, Rip, Chance, uh, Tayshawn, uh, Larry Brown. Um, they were just, you know, we knew that it was, the margin of error was, was this, was this uh, slim and it, and you know it's funny. It didn't show up in the day. It actually got taken out of the dog. Ben talked about the reason that they were able to beat us because they were they were tight. They were more tight than we were, mm-hmm. right? And so when you have a divide between me and Ron, sometimes Jack, you know, mad mm-hmm. with Ron or you know Maul Jamal, you mm-hmm. know, it was a lot of different things elements going on, we were able to come together collectively as a team in Indiana because we love playing basketball, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But to win it all, love playing basketball ain't going ain't gonna to do it. And so, you know, we, we ran up on a, a Pistons team um, that was a little bit more uh, together and connected, uh, didn't have as much talent mm-hmm. that we had. Uh, they had a lot of talent, um, but they were just well, a lot more connected than we were. Well, you tried. You tried that the year because you know, that was the year before I got there when y'all we lost to them in the, in the uh, East Conference Finals. Yeah. But when the year I come, when the year I came the next year, you made it a point. You tried your best to keep yeah. everybody together, going out to eat and doing stuff. Ron was never around, but you tried. But as a quarter team, we were all together. Yeah. You yeah. know, so we went everywhere together. But I mean, we did a lot. I mean, you know, you know, our, our wives, girls, all that stuff. We, yeah. we, we you know, I, those are the things that I, I I started to kind of pick up little things, mm-hmm. right? That I noticed the year before. That you know, I don't know if we thought that we were good enough to win. We knew we were talented. 
we looked up and we had the best record in the league and we in the conference finals and it's like, damn, are we here? And then when they beat us, you know, it was mistakes that uh-huh. we made, right? All of us, we made mistakes. And then coming into the next year and we got Jack, we was like, shit, we gonna come, we gonna come back to camp early. Time to go. You know, it's time to go. Yeah. And, you know, that's the most disappointing because we probably should have won maybe two yeah. championships. With so Jack, yeah. what's it like for you not really understanding what you were walking into, but ready to go? You know, a team that's coming off the conference finals, you could, you're a key piece coming in that next year. What's it like for you? It was, it, it, it was different because I didn't understand the magnitude of the rivalry with, with them in Detroit. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I knew that, I, you know, I knew J.O., you know what I'm saying? And like I said, the first day that he embraced me, came, let me, made me feel comfortable. And, and Reggie speaking of me, so I was already comfortable. I knew a lot of people there, but I did not know the magnitude of the beef with, with, the, with the Pistons. But I felt it as soon as we walked in the arena the day the brawl happened. Mm. I felt it. You, like, you can feel the tension in there, but I... I I, I felt the same way they felt, you know, me going to this team that's a player away, you know what I'm saying? Good piece. And I knew I was going to be a big piece. I'm like, we who focused on championship, you know what I'm saying? Then, um, and Mike Brown was my coach at San Antonio. We won a championship. So he was assistant coach there at the time. So I had, my, my mind was thinking championship the whole time, just play my part and do what I can. I know it's been a serious conversation, but any funny practice stories uh, with yourself, Ron, with you? Too many. <laughs> Remember Danny Granger and and, and uh, Daryl. <laughs> Daryl Armstrong. I remember like Ron. He's even doing video. He leave his house in his uniform. It's, it's it's on the dock. But I remember we. What Ron? What Ron? At? He getting mad. Everybody getting mad. Like Shh. Jamal Tinsley. He takes nothing serious. He's laughing at everything, right? So we about to start practice. Bring it in. One, two, three. Boom, boom. All you hear is two doors bust open. Ron coming there with some Air Force Ones on with some church socks with his uniform already on. And when I say he dominates practice, bro, dominated practice. But that's the type of stuff he used to do. Not there warming up, just show up right before practice time in his practice uniform. He did stuff like that a lot. But I'm sure that's a part of the frustration because when he's locked in, you see his greatness and how integral he could be to winning yeah. a championship. Yeah, he was just so much stronger and bigger <laughs> than any other player that's going to play at, at this position. Um, he, I'm not sure if he knew how good he was. Mm-hmm. I don't think he did. Right. Like he, it, he, he clearly, and to this very moment, is the hardest working player I've ever been around by far. And it's not even close. He used to get on the movies after the game. He used to get on the, uh, he'll play 38, 40 minutes. He gonna get on the treadmill for another 30 after games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he, he was doing shit like that. Basketball was his, to me, I felt like it was a safe place, mm-hmm. right? And he, People that was playing against him was scared of him. Terrified. Bro, like, we were like, okay, Ron, you guard him. Like, we knew with Ron over there guarding him, and then we got Jack. So we, we had a dynamic defensively that it was just hard. That was tough. Bro, it was anywhere you Me turned around. Me at the around. two, Ron, Ron at the three, the and him at the, four, him, him at the four, and Jeff Foster was a, was a great defender, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. We was shutting shit down. You yeah. get past me and Ron, you got to deal with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that's back where you would lay motherfuckers down for a little bit. Too. Yeah, you yeah. come to the hole and knock them down and not get kicked out the game or suspended for a week. Yeah. So, uh, how me and Jack come into contact is in 07, you, you spoke on trying to hold things together. Let's hold it together. We got enough talent. We got what it takes. Pieces start falling off here and there. Jack and Al come to Golden State. You guys get Dunleavy and Murphy. And what was that like to you? Was it a sign like, okay, 
they gave up, or what was your thinking? Nah, that it was my, it was our fault. It was my it was because of that shootout. Well, I, no, no, that's but I'm just but, but I'm just saying, like, as the all star player oh, on yeah. the team, still, like, what's your thinking? Like, damn, these motherfuckers then gave up, or that? What, what was your thought process? They didn't have no choice. They had to do that, bro. It was it was it was tough. I knew when they brought in, and this is no shot to the other players they brought in, but they brought in players that are used to winning, right? Have experience on winning with players who've never been to the playoffs before. So, and we're still dealing with this thug. Tell me. Like, like it, it was still a real thing. Uh, it did not help with the shootout. Did that happen right after this year, right after the brawl? So we still dealing with the brawl. Yeah, yeah. but we people, all on probation and all that. But still, people bro. who don't know the whole story. So when they're back telling when Jack's lips swell up like Shanae's, this is the shootout <laughs> at the strip club, right? Yes, yes. When I got hit by a car. Yeah. Well, then and then also the the shootout with uh with Jamal. That was the year after. We, that was the year after the trade. That was the same guys, but that was after we left. Because remember, Corky was in the car with Jamal. Was that's another right. Another shootout. Right. Yes, yeah, the same with, dudes that had some shootouts. They didn't have some. This is nothing. This is how a great team that he was. He made sure that if he got a gun license, the whole team, they came to my house, remember? And we all got our gun license together. So the whole team got guns. But we registered, though. Right. Right? You legal. We, we legal. We all legal, right? Right. So, bam. So we go, it's the training camp. We go to the strip club, duh, duh, duh. And me and Al are actually leaving, you know what I'm saying? Because it's time to go home. We've been out enough. And some guys, something happened with Jamal Tens in the club where I had to end up going back and firing my gun to get hit by a car, right? All that happened. You make it seem like that's just some little shit. I mean, yeah, you know, it's right. it's a big story. You know what I'm saying? But uh, maybe we'll do that doc too about that. <laughs> but uh, so that was the year after the brawl. So during that time, before that happened, we were all on, I was on probation. You was on probation for the brawl? Oh, yeah. We, was, we all was on probation for the brawl. So that made me violate, you know what I'm saying, probation. And so my two years there, I get in the brawl. Then I get in the shootout at the strip club. So down the watch, like, God damn. Time to go, Jack. And Al just stuck in the middle of it because Al didn't do nothing to nobody. Al you know just what I'm bought saying? a new house, and that was, too, listen, right? It was right after. He just bought a house. But listen, it was right after they, the team just had a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> and we in training camp. Just had a meeting about, hey, y'all, chill out. Don't do this. Don't, don't go nowhere, nothing. And the whole team We goes, in training camp. They go to strip club. The whole team. Mm. And, and like I said, once that happened, I remember, you know, Two days after that, I'm trying to show up to practice. They're like, man, hell nah, man, look at your mom, go your ass home. But then the whole time, they trying to figure up a trade, you know what I'm saying? Al had nothing to do with it. I don't even know if they talked to you about it, but I knew they had a trade in the works. It's like, okay, it's just enough. It's just enough. We got we got to get a get, get this thug uh, cloud from over us and, and make it some type of move. So they had to do it. I don't blame Donnie Washington. Mm -hmm. They stood behind us doing everything, though. Right. You know what I'm saying? But I, I understood. Much. Yeah, they held too much. It's a lot. Yeah, I think... I think you know, it was it was consecutive years. You know, we we had to deal with. You know, it was literally three straight years of always some. You know, it was like the situation with Ron retiring the rap. You know, the rap thing and source awards, source awards, and all. And they were just always consistently something. And they were trying to hold on because they felt like we could win the championship. Y'all had it. And then when you start having shootouts, <laughs> over with. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but it's crazy to think in the NBA, motherfuckers just having, this is not a shoot around. Nah, this yeah, is a fucking like shoot, shoot, shoot out. out. <laughs> this is guard your grill. It's not shoot around. So Jack and Al leave. You hang around a couple more years. You make a few stops towards the end of your career. Um, what is that like? You know what I mean? You hit Miami, you hit Boston, you hit Phoenix, uh, you end in Golden State. But what's those, those, those final years like? And what's your mental like at that time? Well... 
It really started, um, again, like, like you said earlier, I don't really speak a lot about a lot of things. I kind of sit in my own element. Um, I ended up tearing my, I had a slight tear in my meniscus. Um, what that, year was that? This yeah. was uh, right the year after the brawl. Okay. Maybe the year after the year after that. Uh, it was shortly after. And it was not diagnosed correctly, mm -hmm. if you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. um, and that was kind of like the, really the, the time where I felt like things were different with me physically. Um, I ended up doing it again. So back then, like Arn used to, Arn Teller, my agent, used to have me send every, you know, MRI I took, I had to send it to him. So I ended up, you know, taking another one and showed that I ended up tearing it twice before it was diagnosed right the diagnosed first time. That's right crazy. The first time. People don't, people don't even know that. Um, and so my relationships um, in the space, and again, I say this and I say this respectfully because I absolutely love the Simon family that owns the Pacers. I love Indianapolis, right? They gave me an opportunity to do things that is generational for my family, right? No question, right? That relation, I'm, I'm still a little bit salty that the relationship is strained a little bit because of the brawl, but mm -hmm. um, that situation was not handled, right? And I had to do something different for my mental health and stability because I was salty, right? We had no traded everybody. I'm out there, I'm by myself and trying to do you know do all I can to even us to have a chance to win the game, right? Mm -hmm. Went from being the, be the best team in the league, or one of the best teams in the league, to at the bottom of the mm -hmm. barrel trying to make the playoffs. And so I knew from a respectful standpoint that my time was up. They had a young Danny Granger, you know, in, in the wing, ready to go. And I said, I went to them and said, look, you know, this relationship is 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 reached its um, expiration and I just need to go somewhere else. I ended up going to Toronto for a couple of months to get to Miami. Mm -hmm. um, playing with D-Wade was, was, was fun. Um, obviously D-Wade is D-Wade. Uh, learned a lot from him. Um, KG and those guys, that probably was my hardest two years of my career. Why is that? Because one, um, my knee was still bothering me a lot. Um, it just wasn't a good fit. Right? It, was, it wasn't a good fit for me. Um, I don't know if I was a good fit for Doc. Um, but we had an incredible team. I like, mm -hmm. had a good time you know, with those guys. But uh, it just, you know, I, I believe that I, I was meant to go there because of my daughter. Right? If, we, if I don't go to Boston, we don't find her, the leak in her heart. Wow. Right? And so that is, to me, that was God's will and plan for me to go there um, because they had the, the best children's hospital in, in the world, mm -hmm. in, in Boston. So ended up spending there for two years. Uh, Cole calls me. Um, I, don't know how, I don't know how he found out. I was having some issues with my knee. And he said, man, you got to check out orthokon treatment in Germany. So we ended up going to Germany. Um, at the time, I was, I was so mentally out of it. Uh, I was just trying to finish my career on my feet. Mm, that's big. Right, and end up going to Phoenix, no expectations, had a good time with them, and then Golden State, obviously, we know, we all know what, what that city is and what- What was that young team like? Because you got a, a glimpse on your way out of what was coming. And like right before that dynasty started making their run, you were right. around that young team with yep. Coach Jackson, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. What was that team like, that dynamic with the Just young staff and Clay and Dre? It was rare, bro, where 
you know, in our league, you know, money is king, right? Yeah. You know, people see contracts coming up. It was strange because all of those guys came in together, right? A yeah. year or two apart. Um, they were like this. Coach Jackson, you know, Mark Jackson did a phenomenal job. But right away, they work ethic. I'm like watching Steph and Clay before and after games. I remember watching Steph shoot, him and Clay just shooting. And if he hit the rim, it didn't count. <laughs> right? They're shooting 100 threes. Right? And so when people see in games, all you hear is. They practice that shit. Like, makes the hit the rim don't count. Right, if he hit the rim, it doesn't I, I count. I heard free throw games like that, but motherfucking three-point shooting, that's exactly. crazy. Right, yeah. but it's, it's crazy. And then, you know, with young Draymond, and, you know, I remember I remember having a conversation with Steph, and I, and, and I'm just, Steph can vouch for I said, bro, I said, if you lead this team, bro, you're going to win MVP, and y'all going to win it all. Mm. I, told, I told Clay, I said, Clay, I think you're the best two-way player in the game right now. He was too. Right, bruh, unreal. He, he, people talk about his shooting, no, his but defense. defensively. And you don't even get credit for it. You don't I, make no offense defense. It's crazy to me how good he is on defense. He doesn't get the uh, respect he deserves. Just crazy. And, and obviously, Draymond has been like my little brother. And, and we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, the league, talk about history, talking about, you know, things that need to happen. And I was not surprised. I knew that they were going to be good. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were like this close yeah. the previous two years. Yeah, well, because we, we had that Lob City team. And yep. I knew, like, we would battle with you guys. But this, I was like, this team is young. This is, it's going to be their league in a matter of time. And it yep. was. Yep. How, how tough was it to make the final decision to retire? I know I was pushed away, but, you know, you, you was able to, you know, play long 18 years and walk out on your own terms. What, how did that, what did that decision feel like to just say, I'm ready, I'm hanging them up? Bro, I knew my last two years. My last year, uh, going to games was like, it was the hardest thing I, did, I had to do. Like getting up on them? Bro, I'm like, I'm, like a, I'm like sticking my head out the window like a dog and letting the wind, air hit my face. Like it was, it's taking me forever to stretch and get loose for games. At the time, my wife and kids didn't live with me to let the, the, the last two years. Them little patches on you when you had to stop working. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> them little patches, yeah. Hey, let me tell you, man. Nigga showed up with some little patches one day, and like the next couple of games, like he's super loose. He's just dunking. I'm like, man, everybody to put them patches on, man. He had everybody wearing them, putting right there one of them. Them circle up. patches, yeah, right? Circle I patches. remember them shit. Alan Swarbaugh, nigga, work for his fat ass. Bro, listen, man. It, I had I had to try everything possible to right. get right for the games, bro. Mm-hmm. And I I knew that it was over for me because I didn't love playing anymore. Yes. Like again, my last two or three years was strictly about walking out on my feet. Really. That's it. Like I, 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 it was so, like my last five years was so hard physically. Like I never, like people talk about ACLs and all, but that meniscus, when that meniscus is banged up and it's, you can't grow it back, you can't repair it, that's bone on bone, right? Your elevation, your quickness, all that, all that shit's gone. And I, it was just more like I needed to be happy and respectful when I look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Right, that was more, I didn't care about anything else, what nobody else said, just looking in the mirror, are you happy? how you ended it, and that's that was my thing. Now, it's crazy because Golden State tried to get me to come back twice, and I remember the next year, because they wanted the next mm-hmm. year, and, I don't, and like, I'm at home like this. Remember, because we beat Fuck. you guys in game seven uh, in in uh, L.A., Yep. and then the next year, y'all came, they, they came back and won, and that was your last year, that was your last game. Bro, listen, I, after that game, we lost. I went, my wife was in the room, I went back in the room, I just laid on the bed. I said, that's it. Mm. Damn. I was like, that's it. I told her, I said, she's like, what do you mean? I said, I'm done. 
I had no, I had nothing left emotionally in the game. Um, I needed I needed to give more back to my kids. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, um, eighteen years, bruh, of it's a long run, man. Of so much, um, it, it helped me be a better person. Um, it prepared me for everything uh, I think that I'm going through now, and um, hopefully I can give back to my communities the things that I've, I've been good at, things I wasn't as, as good at, and let them use that as a tool. So you kind of saw, you just said you know, your last five years were a mental and also physical grind. When did you start thinking about what's next? I mean, obviously you, you're comfortable, you, you did a lot, but as intelligent as you are, I know there was something that you were going to be reaching for next. When did that start kicking in for you? When I tore my meniscus. Okay. And I, knew, I knew right away. I said, I said, this is what they're talking about. Like, it was just like, like, you like, because you ain't never had no surgery, right? Just on his lips. Facts, facts, facts. I had a minor surgery when, uh, from when I'm down protégés, remember? Oh yeah, I had a uh, <laughs> bullshit ass protege. Bunion removal. Man, them motherfuckers. I had to wear a new pair every quarter. Oh, and uh, I had uh, broke. I had broke my toe, and I was playing the protege's, and I had to get uh, bone spurs taken out of my, but not mm-hmm. that serious. But I had a, I had a meniscus, so I tore my meniscus with the Lakers. Went up for a rebound, got undercut, and landed on my leg, and was thought I just sprained my ankle. I was trying to shake it off, so I kept playing, trying to shake it off. Feel call the time I would go to the bench, I put a towel over my leg and then I take the towel off and try to get up and my knee is like this. I'm like, oh my God, like what happened? What happened? What happened? Like you tore something. Come to find out it was my meniscus, but luckily they were able to go in and take the little piece out and then, mm-hmm. you know, six to eight weeks later, but I'm he, good. He had been, but he was, he, him and Al was, just to credit them, we talk about how smart he is. Him and Al was thinking businesses and stuff. We were in Indiana. Like he had a club and like they yeah. were thinking, after yeah. basketball way before yeah. anybody else was. Well, think about that because like when we played, that wasn't the talk in the locker room. Now right. you're talking about, with, now now locker room and talk because I caught the end of it. What are you investing in? This isn't like right. this company. Like that wasn't the conversation. We weren't talking about shit like that. So that's nah, why I kind of want to know, yeah, you know, with success. And that's, why I, tell, that's why I tell y'all too, I would never fall off because I got real friends with real brains that's way smarter <laughs> than me that take care of me. I got this motherfucker, I got him and I got Al. I can never lose. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> But what was like coming out? I mean, because Jack and I landed on our feet, never even thinking about doing commentary and fucking with the media, because we looked at media as the kind of the cops back when we played. Like you don't even really want to tell them too much. But now we've been able to cross over. What was your like? What was next for you? Think as you're coming towards the end, trying to you know trying to figure out what the passion was, right? So you know I I dabbled dabbled in a lot of stuff, whether it's restaurants or whether it's tech businesses or kind of um, resort building and stuff like that Mm. too. But like just making sure that I had a passion. I remember my first six months of retirement, bro. It was hell. It's a lot, bro. It was hell, bro. And I was like, what am I supposed to do? And I actually had shit going on, mm-hmm. but it was like, I remember sitting in my office and and like, borderline felt depressed because I've been I played in the NBA half my adult life, right from 17 to 35. Right, right? feel and that so, void of that competitive so. nature. Yeah, you you definitely missing. So the biggest thing that I miss was the fellas, right? Because we can go back into the communities and we and I have some great friends in Dallas, um, but it's different because they they don't understand what we are. Mm-hmm. Like in many cases, we're dealing with the same situations, whether it's family, you know, relationships, whatever it may be, and some people can't digest that. 
Yeah. Like they see, okay, you got money, you living in like this and like, like what the fuck's wrong with you? Like why are you mad and why are you sad, mm-hmm. right? They don't get that. And so I miss the bus rides, the locker rooms, the plane rides. Yeah. Um, I don't think nothing in life can ever replace that. Mm-hmm. That's the main reason why a lot of us did the big three though. Yep. For that brotherhood. You know, a lot of guys, a lot of guys wasn't playing. You know, wasn't about the game. Nah, just, game. Right. just Kick to be with our brothers for mm-hmm. the weekend, you know, out on the weed events. Like it, it was just different. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because like you said, that's what we all had missed. Yeah. Right. That camaraderie. Right. All right, we coming down to the end, man. So first thing to come to mind, we have our quick hitters. Toughest player matchup in your career? Bruh. It could be a lot. Um, I would probably say Dirk, though, mm. because he, he was able to shoot off either foot, right? And he was seven foot tall, and he kept it he kept up here, so mm-hmm. you couldn't get to it. And he'd, he'd come down hard on you and just stop. And pull. And pull, right? And you still moving, right? He, he's, he's straight up and down on you. So I would say Dirk Nowitzki is probably the toughest cover um, that I've had. To, I've had that. We locked that shit up. Yes, we did. Yes, we locked we that shit. <laughs> if you could go back and relive one night of your career, what would it be? Didn't you have like a sixty-point game when we was together? Uh, Fifty-five. Fifty-five. Okay, yeah. If you got one game you could relive, what night? Like, what game would it be? Shit, probably the malice. That malice. Shit, yeah. yeah. Relive that, that crazy. Yeah, yeah I, I, I like to relive that again. Um, what would you do different? So honestly, I would have preferred for us to have an on-court fight with yeah. the Pistons. I tried it. You see, yeah, I tried yeah. it a couple time times. Out, time like, out. I, I, I ran around the took my shirt off, squared up. Who want it, bro? Right. Not you, Derek Coleman, but everybody yeah. else. <laughs> Y'all can get it. But DC, I don't want no smoke with you. But that's, I would have rather have the fight with them because right. then you're talking about a two, two to five game suspension, right? right? It's a, just a player fight, right? Yeah. And it doesn't. It doesn't Lingering to 17 years later, and we still talking about the same damn place. Right, right. Anybody but Derek Coleman. Get, get anybody but Derek Coleman. I did not want that smoke, bro. I, I know my weight class. Uh, they, had, they had a bunch of that. Elton, they they was chilling. Elton was trying to break it up. She was trying to break it up. They was chilling. You know what I'm yeah. saying? When I squared up, when I tried to square up with Lindsey and Rip, Rip Hamilton, D. Coleman was beelining to in front. In front, of him. I'm like, nah, I'm cool. I'm going nope. that down. Yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. Jo, you plus four going to the blacktop. Who you taking? All time? All time. MJ, uh, Isaiah Thomas, Magic Johnson, uh, and Shaq. Oh, Lord. That's just cheating. Top five artists. Big, Jay-Z, Kanye, Hmm. whichever Kanye you want. Mm -hmm. Um, Early Kanye for me. Yeah, 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 probably so. Um, 808 Heartbreak Kanye. I'm going to go... I'm gonna go. Um, I'm gonna go Drake too, because uh-huh. um, I, I ain't heard Drake put out put out no BS. No. How many is that right there? Four. Four. Mm-hmm. Um, pop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pop. Wow, solid. Uh, five. You know, look, look, he, he would have got emotional if you didn't say pop. You know. <laughs> He'd have been thinking about you different after this. <laughs> five. Five dinner guests, dead or alive. Damn, y'all hitting me. Um, five dinner this guests. Gonna be good. Holly Berry. You should know how much I love Holly Berry. Um, <laughs> damn. Uh, really, that's it. No. I'm serious. He said, really, that's it. You got to take five, dog. Holly Berry. You got to come with four more Oh, people. man. Um, <laughs> that might be the funniest shit we have for that answer. By far. 
Barack Obama, um, Martin Luther King, mm-hmm. Malcolm X. Come on. Red Fox. Red Fox. Ooh, yeah. Hey, that's going to be a dope. <laughs> Last question, my brother. Appreciate you coming. Um, who do you want to see on All the Smoke? But before you answer, you have to help us get your answer on the show. I'd probably say Kanye. Ooh. No, that's dope. We'd love to have Kanye on the you show. You got to go get him out the uh, Georgia Dome. Yeah, he can't, he's sleep, but we can't have the mask on because our fans got to see him. Not to give a fuck he got the mask on. Just <laughs> that, that, that could be anybody. Yeah, nah, you're going to know it's Kanye. J.O., man, we appreciate it. As we said earlier, man, you're, not, you're, you're a man of very few words. When you speak, people listen because you know what you're talking about. But thank you for your time today. Uh, best it, of luck with the project. I'm glad you're finally, after 17 years, being able to get your side of the shit out. So yeah, hopefully it'll yeah. rest. But it's probably not going to rest for a minute. It's going to be a little wild after yeah. this documentary, I'm sure. But again, man, for your time, we Being a real brother it. to me. My well, brother. You know what I'm yes, saying? Since, well, I don't know, over 25 years, we've been knowing each other. So I appreciate you coming on the show and always holding me down, too, bro. Yes, sir. I love you, brother. That's a wrap. All the smoke, Jermaine O'Neal. You can catch us on Showtime Basketball YouTube or on the iHeart platform, Black Effects. That's the 96, bitch. This is All the Smoke, a production of the Black Effect and iHeart Radio in partnership with Showtime. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare at&t connects an ode to podcasts connect the alarm change the podcast you stream connect the snooze 10 more minutes to dream connect the shower Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T.